Welcome to the Fiend Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. of the Bean Ninjas podcast, I am joined again by the Bean Ninjas co-founder, Meryl Johnston. We're going to talk today about her journey to her first 100,000. You may remember in our last episode, we discussed her seven-day launch plan, how she brought that together and made it work. And by the way, it worked really well because in just eight months, she had already gained her first 100000 in revenue. So you definitely want to find out how that's possible and replicate some of the things that she did to get there so quickly. We're going to talk about hiring, uh, some of the highs and lows in her first few months of hiring. She's really, really um, honest and forthright and gives you a lot of tips about what she did that works, but also what she did that didn't work. And then she's going to talk to us in depth about process documentation and building procedures that work long term. She'll tell you how some of the procedures she built initially are still procedures that she relies on today and why she credits them with helping her to scale her business as quickly as it did. So it's going to be a great episode. I'm really excited to chat with Meryl and for us to talk about all of these really exciting things that she did in just eight months time. everyone. I am joined with my co-host, Meryl Johnston of Bean Ninjas. Meryl, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Great to be here. It's early morning here, but I'm recording the podcast rather than surfing this morning. Oh, now that's a big sacrifice to make. I don't know. I don't think I could do it. (laughs) How many days a week do you start your morning with surfing? Ideally, at least three, but it is, it's a bit dependent on conditions too so if the surf is really good then I might even sneak in for a ball surf but sometimes the conditions aren't great and so I might not hit my target of three surfs for the week oh yeah that's gotta hurt when you don't make it out there I'm sure that it's um a really exciting but I I think it would also be almost a calming relaxing way to start your morning kind of you know out there in the ocean especially this early you know sun's coming up and and seems like it would be a really peaceful way to start the day. It is. I think it really sets the tone for the day where I've had some time, some thinking time and some time to think about either some issues in my business or what I want to achieve for the day or just to have a little bit of break and, and a break and some time for myself. So it's a wonderful way to start the day. Excellent. And it seems to be working because uh, Bean Ninjas has seen tremendous growth almost from the very first week in our last podcast, we literally talked about your very first seven days working to get your seven-day launch done, which you did. Um, we touched a little bit on your first few months and kind of what your customer status and, and how much you were making in revenue. Today, we're going to talk about your journey to 100000 which came, in my opinion, pretty quick. I'm sure it felt painfully slow to you. But um, let's talk a little about that. What, at what point from day one to which day, which month were you hitting 100000 So it was eight months in. So we, we started the business in our official launch date was the 1st of July, 2015. And that's very easy for us to remember because that's the first day of the Australian financial year. Ah. And so it was yeah, early in 2016 in our eighth month. 
that we hit that magic number of just over eight and a half thousand of monthly recurring revenue, which was our the hundred thousand of annual recurring revenue. And to me, that sounds really fast. I've worked with a lot of different startups over the years and I mean, it sounds almost like record-breaking to me, but of course I know it felt different to you. And on the last episode, you mentioned that I think you were up until like month six, you only had about, what was it, about 3,000? Yeah, that's right. So we it was we had 3,500 of monthly recurring revenue after six months and 29 customers. Mm-hmm. And then we really hit some momentum and also started selling to bigger customers. So in, in the next two months... We then moved to 45 customers and 8,500 of monthly recurring revenue. And you can see our customer numbers didn't significantly increase there, but our revenue did. And that was because we were, as I said, we were able to sell to some bigger customers and provide some additional services to them. So was that a conscious marked decision that you made to sort of shift the kind of customer you were going after or did one of those, a couple of those just kind of come to you at that point? The opportunities came to us and there actually were pros and cons related to that. So the bigger the the bookkeeping customer, often the more complex the work is and the longer it takes to onboard someone to set everything up. So it was actually great from a cash flow perspective because it really helped boost the business and also the opportunities that we had to spend some money on hiring and on marketing. But the downside was that it was complex work, which was not something. So we had some team members at that point, but it was not the kind of complex work that they could handle themselves in terms of onboarding these new clients. And that was actually a really important learning for us in the business. So I needed to handle some of these clients directly and and the same with Ben. And our goal with this business was always to create processes and repeatable tasks so that we could have other people running the business, especially everything to do with bookkeeping operations. Mm -hmm. And what we found was, yes, these bigger Bigger customers were great for cash flow, but they really took us as founders away from growing the business and thinking strategically and talking to other potential customers because we were in there doing the work and actually trying to set up these bookkeeping processes. So it was it was a catch-22. It was, it was great from a, a revenue and morale boost point of view, but not so much for the follow-on effect of what we were able to focus on right. for the next few months after that. And I do want to get later in the podcast, I want to talk to you about your process documentation because I know that you've done some really good work with that and you have a lot of great tips that I definitely want to get to. Um, Before we get to that, I want to talk uh, about your marketing, um, kind of where you started after your first seven-day launch. I know in the last episode we talked about you were reaching out and doing a lot of phone calls and kind of trying absolutely everything somewhere between there and month eight, you must have hit a stride because you were, you know, 45 customers. And how'd you do that? And tell me a little bit about your marketing. After that seven day launch, our mindset around everything we did in the business was to try something and get it to market quickly, or if it was a marketing tactic to test it and then see whether it worked or not, and then learn from it and iterate and improve. And our initial marketing strategy was to try a whole range of different tactics and then see what worked and what didn't. And in the early days, face-to-face networking and 
referrals from existing relationships. That's what really helped to grow the business. And I was looking back at an old blog post where we, at, at six months into the business, we were looking at the percentages of how many customers came from different channels. And in the early days, we were overly reliant on friends and family and our existing network. But surprisingly, another great referral source for us in those early days was in online groups. And that was where we started to learn that it's beneficial to be more precise and with your messaging around talking to a particular market segment or niche. And we were starting to learn that we could provide a lot of value to businesses who were selling online and other, some other or many other accountants and bookkeepers weren't as familiar with the requirements for these kind of businesses. And also there were online groups for these online type businesses. They were quite active in different Facebook groups discussing things around how to grow their business, around marketing tactics, but also sometimes they were posting in there because they needed help or advice around picking the right accounting software or even finding the right accountant who could understand their type of business. And so that was a, a channel that was really effective for us. And our strategy wasn't to go in there and promote our services. It was just to be part of the community and try and be really helpful. And that meant sometimes we weren't even helping with accounting things. I can remember helping to edit a book from someone in one of these groups. We'd provide feedback on websites. We'd test different things. We were just trying to be as helpful as we could and and build a reputation for being trustworthy and, and providing useful and insightful feedback. And over time, people got to know that we were, this Ben and I were both doing this, we were from Bean Ninjas and what Bean Ninjas did. And then over, again, over time, they might have a friend that would be talking about their that they needed to register for sales tax or GST. And then that, that friend might say, oh, I've heard of, yes, yeah, you should check out the Bean Ninjas website. And that over time, so we realised that the online groups were working for us. And we were also thinking about the kind of customers that we liked working with. And we found that there was a particular market segment of online entrepreneurs and location independent entrepreneurs, lifestyle entrepreneurs that we felt like we really connected with and understood their type of business. And being accountants, we also had tracked, we would, we tracked job profitability. So we were able to do some analysis and we did this around the six month mark, do some analysis of the different types of packages we sold, the different types of customers we were working with. And also we were able to look at trends and, and, and different industries. And that was where we realized as well that the, the segment of online businesses was actually our best segment. And that's where we started to understand, well, let's start creating marketing messaging that relates to, that's going to talk directly to the pain points of these customers, not to small business generally. And while we didn't actively discourage businesses or business owners from other industries, we, we could still serve, serve them too, but we changed our messaging around trying to attract more of these ideal clients, the people running online businesses. So people that were blogging or coaches, consultants, some were software startups or productized services like ours, but where, where they were selling or they're running their teams remotely or online, because we understand that was what our business was about. And we were able to understand and add value to those kind of businesses. 
Sure. And tell me a little bit now. You mentioned um, something about doing some tracking, so you were able to kind of go back and, and see trends and look at what was going to work best for you. What exactly did you track, and how did that make a difference for you? So we use we're, we're zero specialists. So obviously we were using zero in our own business as well. And for every so for every customer, we could track. Everyone was on a fixed monthly fee, so we could see how much we were charging each month. But our team, it's quite common in the accounting industry for you, for team members to keep timesheets. And there is there's a, there's actually debate about whether it is a good idea or not. But that debate actually relates to how you price your services and whether it should be based on hours spent or on value-based pricing. But anyway, in our team, we do have everyone keep timesheets. And the reason for that is so that we can do this kind of analysis. And based on the time that someone works and then their their wages or their contractor rate, we could then track over a period of months whether these jobs were profitable or not. And so we were able to do that across every customer in the business but also we knew because we didn't have that many customers, we could also see, we, we knew which industry different customers were in. And, and that's how we were starting to see trends of which type of customers were more profitable. Very smart. I love that. And that's a great tip, no matter what kind of business you're in. Um, that's a really good tip to follow. So it sounds like what you've talked about so far is really some um, marketing that costs you a little bit of time, going into different forums, um, conversing with potential clients, helping people out with things that aren't even related to the services you offer. So they cost time, but not necessarily any money. Had you spent um, in that first eight months, had you spent any money on marketing, any paid marketing that was being done? Not really. We'd, we'd paid for little things like designs for particular offers, mm -hmm. but we really, we really didn't have a lot of money at the time. Yeah. So we were trying to do what we could ourselves and do things like being active in the communities and writing blog posts, which didn't cost a lot of money. The other, the other strategy that we were pursuing was trying to speak on podcasts. And that was actually a lot more difficult starting out than, than I thought it would be. We've mm -hmm. since done many, many podcast interviews, but it was very difficult getting the, the first handful of podcast interviews because we neither Ben or I were known. We didn't really have any kind of – we had reputations within the accounting industry but not really anywhere else. Anyone that was hosting a podcast, they probably wouldn't have heard of us. And Bean Ninjas was only six months old. We were a small business. Six months in, our revenue was quite small. And it was – so it, it was difficult to get those first few podcasts. And we were lucky enough that – the Tropical MBA, Ben and I actually met in a community called Dynamite Circle, which is related to the Tropical MBA podcast. And they were quite intrigued that we had met in a mastermind group there and then decided to launch a business together and then follow the seven-day startup. And that book is written by someone else who's in that same community. And so they were quite interested in our story of the way that we'd met and we'd launched. So we were lucky enough to get that podcast interview. And then I worked really hard to leverage that one interview to then pitch to other podcasts. And I'd, I'd listen to episodes. I'd think about what would be useful for their audience. And now that I'd been on one podcast, I could say, these are the topics that I could talk about, which would be relevant to your audience. And PS, I have also been on this podcast, which you may have heard of. And, and so that they, if they wanted, they could, listen to how I sounded too. And that, that strategy worked. It, it worked 
better than when I'd not been on any podcast, but it was still quite slow. <laughs> and it was only once I'd been on three or four, then it became much easier to then pitch to another podcast saying, well, you can check out these other episodes. But that really helped us and, and helped to spread the word of Bean Ninjas. And so, again, even though people didn't necessarily know, and still now, if I go to an event, someone might not know who I am, but they often will have heard of the brand. Yeah. And, and that makes me feel really proud because our intention was never to be an accounting firm with my name on the door. It was always to build a brand. And so that I, I feel really proud of that. As you should. That's amazing. I love that you used every podcast, every little experience that you had, whether it was a podcast or in a forum to kind of you compounded it by, okay, now we've got this, got this under my belt. Let me take this and go get another one, go get some more of this. So I think that's really um, exciting to hear that that still works because, you know, we're kind of in this age where there's this mantra that there is no marketing that you're not paying for. Um, and you're proof of the fact that you can go out and get some small successes and then build on those to make them bigger. So that's amazing. I love, I love to hear that. Um, that's so true. I actually, I'll just expand on that with the, the paid marketing. We, it, it took us a long time to go into, we, we did do some experiments with paid Facebook ads and it's, it was never very successful for us. And again, when we did, when we tried Facebook ads, we were running ads to a free zero health check and we'd have people sign up for it and then no one would give us access to their zero file because they thought it was a scam seeing a Facebook ad. So, yeah. so our, our paid advertising is actually has been less successful than the, the strategies we use are probably they're longer term. So they, it's not like you can run an ad and get a sale the next day. They're much more long term. But I think that ties, I think that's important because of the industry we're in, which is all about trust and keeping financial records. Absolutely. But that's something that we've just had to learn along the way. Absolutely. And it's, it's a recurring theme, I think, with kind of the way that you've built your company. You know, we talked about it in the last episode as well, that you set a goal and you stuck with it and you didn't allow yourself to get distracted. You kind of kept your eye on that. And it sounds like it's the exact same thing you've done with your marketing You've tried a few different things. You figured out what was going to work for you that would be affordable um, for the revenue you had at that time, and then you just kept charging forward. And I think that's um, fascinating to hear that that your own discipline um, has been really kind of the foundational thing that's gotten your company to the point that you're at with this tremendous growth. So I love it. I love hearing that. Um, let's talk a little bit. I know that within that first eight months, you started doing some hiring. So tell me a little bit about your approach and strategy for that, what worked and what didn't work. In one of the early hiring strategies was we actually tried outsourcing in India. And prior to being Ninjas, I had actually been on a trip to India to meet different outsourcing partners. And when, when I came back, I still had those relationships. And so that's something that we tested in the early days. And it didn't really work for us. I think outsourcing is quite common in the accounting industry and in other businesses too. And it, yeah, there are not, for various reasons it, it didn't work out for us. And I think the key the key reason was that we didn't have good enough processes. We were wanting to hand over work to to other team members. They weren't in the same office as us, which made training difficult but we didn't have good enough documented procedures about exactly what they needed to do. 
And that meant that the amount of time required to brief someone on the work and then check the work. And also because their English was good, but it wasn't perfect, we had to check every email and every report for spelling and grammatical issues. Because again, if, if, if we send anything out with spelling errors, I think it reflects on us and, and may pretend, you know, there may be questions about the financial side of the, the yeah. accuracy of what we're, <laughs> what we're doing there. So, yeah. so it's quite important that we get those things right. And quickly we realized that it was actually taking more time to delegate work than it was to actually do it ourselves. So we, we, oh, sorry, I just wanted to ask really quick. So I'm assuming you're tracking all of this as well, because we, you've talked a little bit about, you know, tracking different things that you were able to review later. Were you tracking um, exactly what was happening when you're, um, when you're on your side of, of that relationship with these outsourced um, contractors, you're tracking your time that you're spending kind of coaching and teaching them. And then are you tracking their time on, on their side as well? Yeah, so we were definitely tracking their time. Ben and I did go through a period where we tracked our time for something like three months. I can't remember if it was exactly then. And again, we used that information to to learn about our own habits and to look at where we were, what we were spending time on, and and whether there was basically a good return investment on that time. I can't remember if we were actually doing it at that point, but we still had a sense of how long it was taking to for the coaching and the review. And so, so that was kind of your first um, try at, at bringing on some contractors. I'm assuming you're, you're bringing them on as a contractor at this point in time. So sort of offshore wasn't working. What was, what was the next thing that you wanted to try? Well, we still knew that the intention with the business was that we were building something scalable and that we would have a team of bookkeepers. And so it was a bit disheartening that that didn't really work out. And we had to go back to the drawing board and think about, well, is this our goal? And our, and yes, it definitely was that we wanted to build a business that was bigger than ourselves. And part of that was around creating much better systems and being more defined about exactly what we do and don't do for customers. And then we also realized we needed to hire some skilled staff who could help us to create those procedures. So next we hired skilled staff in Australia and we actually hired someone in the US as well because we had an opportunity, we were starting to receive a lot of referrals from US businesses enough to the point that it made sense to hire someone in the US to handle that too. And this time around, we're hiring experienced people that had 20 years of bookkeeping and accounting experience, and they were really able to handle all the complexities without having really detailed procedures. So yes, we, we were starting that documentation process, but we, not everything was nailed down. And I think sometimes in the early stages of a business, things move so quickly that you can waste time if you try and document everything in minute detail at the beginning. Sure. It's important to have a framework of what a general process is. Mm -hmm. But by hiring these skilled staff, they were actually able to help in creating these procedures and didn't require as much management time of Ben and I, which freed us up to really focus on growing the business. So that was definitely a lesson from that experience and now we are we do actually have a team member in the philippines and we will continue down that path but that it, it took us a couple of years to get to that point mm -hmm. to the point where we did have really good procedures we had a lot of structure and we had repeatable work that could be done well without a lot of management time mm -hmm. and i, I th that would be an, another lesson from me around that is make 
trying to figure out the right time if, if you are going to go to somewhere like the Philippines or India. But also this time we've got Ness, who's in our team, is actually part of our team. It's she's not. It's not an. We don't treat it like an outsourcing company. Ness is just someone else in our team who happens to live in the Philippines, as we have many team members that live all around the world, and there's there's no difference. Right. So the the key there would be number one, having good procedures and processes in place that you've already sort of tried and know what works and what doesn't work. And then also knowing what type of revenue and workflow you can hand out, what is and is not sort of repeatable, and then assigning that work to your outsourced um, team members in a way that makes sense for them and you then. So you mentioned, um, again, some process documentation um, and there were some things that you got right and some things that you got wrong initially. Tell me a little bit about some of the processes, uh, procedures that you were doing early on that worked and are still working. We would, so we broke down the business into different sections and within the bookkeeping area, there's, there was an onboarding area when we're handling new clients and then there was the recurring bookkeeping, which is once they're into their monthly or their weekly bookkeeping cycle. And they were the first areas of the business that we thought were important to systemize. So we had, we created, we were using Trello at the time as our project management system and we would create different cards and then checklists for how to do particular things. So if it was a recurring bookkeeping, we'd have a step-by-step of the, the key things to complete that task, like, um, for example, reconcile, uh, send queries, email, follow-up queries. You know, there'd be a list of different steps. And then we had a separate, in Google Docs, we'd then have a procedure which would explain more about our thought process of why we were doing certain things and then also the how to do it. And our bookkeepers were highly skilled. We were hiring very experienced people, so we didn't need a lot of the, the how you actually do it. It was more around that framework of, these are our expectations and this is the the step-by-step and and these are the deadlines. Making sure that you're giving, that you're creating procedures and giving documentation that answer really three questions, what they need to be doing, why they need to do it, and how, if they need to, you know, be told how, then you have that documentation available. And I love that you give the why behind the what. It is something that surprisingly a lot of management and procedures don't do you know they kind of think of it's almost robotical they say here you do this you do a b c and d and then you're done but it makes such a difference to tell someone why they're doing it and even sometimes why they need to do it that way yeah absolutely often when you've created the procedure you've done a lot of thinking or you've tested different ways of doing things to find the best solution and we, that's something we try and have a culture within our team now that we're always incrementally trying to improve everything that we do. And so there might be a reason why we have done something in the past and there may that may well be a valid reason and we need to be aware of that. We don't want to re, recreate work that we've already done, but we, we do also want to continue to incrementally improve. That, that's something that everyone in the team is is driving for and that actually fits with one of one of our three values is always growing and that is around everyone trying to improve whatever area of the business they're working on to make those incremental improvements and more recently we've actually done a full review again of all of our procedures and I think going back to our conversation in last podcast talking about 
launching in seven days, but more that mindset around creating something quickly and then iterating. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's a good it, it's good to do that with procedures too. As a, an early stage business, your priority is creating revenue, serving customers and getting more customers and, and generating cash flow. And then you need a framework of procedures to make sure that you're doing that well. But again, you don't want to spend months and months on documentation because that's not your priority right now. But it just needs to be good enough to make sure that the business can keep operating so you can keep growing. And then again, you can come back in time. And that's what we did about two and a half years into the business was then go back and do a full review of all of our procedures and update everything. So it's, it's an ongoing process. Right. It's never static. It's always subject to change based on what you're learning. Um, so I kind of want to go back and, and almost kind of do a review of of the things we've talked about on this episode. So your journey to 100,000 included marketing and your approach to marketing, you didn't feel like you had to follow anyone else's best practices. And then maybe some of that too was revenue wouldn't have allowed you to go spend, you know, 20,000 a month on Facebook or, or Google PPC. So you kind of, you took the approach that you had available uh, to marketing and it, it, was very time consuming um, for you to interact with a lot of the forums and, you know, even providing some free advice and help on things outside of accounting or bookkeeping. Um, And then you got to a stage where you had enough revenue coming in to do some hiring and you kind of went through phase one and phase two and kind of punting and starting over with your hiring and doing it a little bit differently. And all of this is happening while you and Ben are also before you hired anyone, doing all the bookkeeping yourself. <laughs> so managing the clients that you were getting, which was you 20-something clients for that first you know, six months or so, how do you do all of that and avoid the burnout? I mean, did you ever sleep? Were you like caffeine-aholic? <laughs> what was going on? <laughs> it, it was a really hard time, actually. In the first few months after we launched, we were still really excited, and that excitement just really pushed us on to to work in our other businesses and also really focus and push forward with B Ninjas. And I'd say, again, it would have been around the six months mark. That's, that was when a lot of different things and changes were happening. And I think that was when Ben and I realized our goal when we launched B Ninjas was we wanted to make it a million dollar business and we wanted to be working 20 hours a week each so that we could be off traveling and for me, surfing and, and exploring. And we realized it, I think in the first few months we were, we were still on a high and about six months in we realised, okay, this is actually going to be a much bigger challenge than we thought and it's not possible to continue working at the rate we are ongoing because this is going to take a couple of years at least, maybe more, to achieve our goals and it's not sustainable to keep working like this. And so we had a conversation about that and we, we really wanted to try and cap our hours at no more than 40, 40 hours a week. I mean, that was not really possible. We were definitely going to be working more than that, but but that was what we were aiming for. And I think that was a hard realisation because it felt like we were on a good path and we were growing and we were achieving our goals, but it was going to be a much longer path than we thought and we needed to do this in a more sustainable way so that we weren't going to burn out after at the 12 month mark we needed to be able to it's more of a marathon and we needed to be able to keep on going and something we did there was consider trying to work in sprints so have a sprint where we were working on a particular project and execute on that and work really hard but then also have some time some 
some weeks where we weren't working on as intensely so we could recharge or we could go and do something else. And it was still difficult to take things like holidays at that point because we were still very much involved in the business. And in hindsight, I do wish that I had taken more time off on the weekends to recharge and actually have a break so that I could, and I felt, I think I probably would have been more productive during the week if I had done that. Whereas I was working a lot of weekends too. And just, it was just week after week after week. So it was relentless and I was enjoying it, but it, it really, in hindsight, it was not sustainable to do that. You get to this point where you're, you're ready to avoid burnout and you realize you're already burning out or you may soon do that. Uh, and you and Ben kind of get together, you make this new goal. Okay. We really need to work to limit ourselves to 40 hours a week. Once you got close to that, and I'm sure it took a while before you actually, you know, got, got to 40, once you got close to that and you started sort of pulling yourself, you know, out of the office a little bit earlier, did it have an immediate, uh, impact on the business? Well, I never really did get close to 40 in, in, in the, at, the, at that stage. I mean, the hours I work now are much more reasonable. Sure. But at the time, we knew that we needed to be careful of burnout. But it was a very difficult position to be in because we could see the growth potential in being ninjas and we didn't really want to work in our other businesses, but we had to mm-hmm. to, to earn more money and in hindsight, I did have a savings buffer. So I had saved up. I had many, many months of living. I probably had a year's worth of living expenses saved up. But I felt it made me feel uncomfortable. But I think because I've always been a saver, I didn't want to feel like I was going backwards mm-hmm. and having to use my savings to fund my living costs. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, now I know that the business has, has gone well. It is something that I could have done to reduce the stress on myself and actually supplemented my income a little bit so I didn't have to do as much of the consulting work in the early days to to pay for everything. And something else I probably should have done earlier was really scale back my living costs. I had done that a little bit, but there was probably more that I could have done so that I didn't have to work as much. I think my main goal there should have been to reduce the hours in my consulting business so I could focus on being ninjas as for the 40 hours a week, but not the 40 hours a week plus the consulting. So mm. I was aware of it, but it was very difficult to scale back my hours because of cash flow pressure. But I was more conscious about trying to exercise and, and do things that I enjoyed too. But it, yeah, it was more difficult than it that I thought to actually implement that. Sure. Yeah. And of course, hindsight is always 2020, but, um, this has been really fascinating. I definitely want to dive deeper into some of these topics on another episode. Um, for today we will wrap here. Meryl, thank you so much. Hopefully you get to get to, uh, get out of the house in time to catch a couple of waves before you go start your day today. I've got my boards packed in the car. All right, ready to go. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for joining us here on the Bean Ninjas podcast. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. As always, you can check out our website at beanninjas.com and head on over to our blog, beanninjas.com slash blog to keep up with our latest and greatest news and information. And don't forget to come back and check out the next episode of the podcast.